Welcome to the Cheryl Broderson Podcast, encouraging and equipping you through the study of God's Word. This is a podcast taken from the Joyful Life Bible Study at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. So, I mean, this is kind of a rhetorical question, right? Have you ever been disappointed? No. Yeah. Okay. Have you ever been discouraged? <laughs> what? Yes. Okay. Have you ever been depressed? Yes. It seems that disappointment leads to discouragement which leads to depression. It's kind of like one going to the other, like a downward stream. But when all of these are present, it can be a challenge to even get through the day. I remember reading Amy, uh, devotional by Amy Carmichael, and she said on the mission field when she was serving in India, the thing that she had to fight more than anything else was discouragement. Because she found if she gave in to discouragement, it could lead to depression. Disappointment often follows something that gave less than the results you hoped for. Do you ever find that disappointment? Like you were hoping that that recipe was going to turn out so good. (laughs) Did I ever tell you about my spinach artichoke casserole? That was one of the grossest things I ever tasted. (laughs) Couldn't even serve it to my guests. I remember just thinking, you know, what went wrong? Or maybe a recipe that you've done a ton of times. And all of a sudden, for some reason, it just didn't turn out. Or you forgot the salt in the chocolate chip cookies. I don't know why we need salt, but we do in those. Or a gift that just wasn't liked. Have you ever given a gift and you could tell they didn't like it? They're like, oh, uh-huh. Hmm, thank you. You know, or, you know, they're... Somebody, they, they say something like, oh, they look you up and down, they're like, I like the buttons on your shirt. <laughs> that was all they could find. You know, you're just like, oh, we as women, we go right there, don't we? Yeah, I know, that's all you liked. Mm-hmm. Um, if you sew, like I used to and sometimes do, sometimes you get in your mind what this dress is going to look like when you put the fabric or what this shirt is going to look like. And the end project, after you spent all that time cutting it out, piecing it together, sewing it, maybe even surging, you're like, what? What did I make? You know, I, I, when I was in Vista, I used to sew quite a bit. And I would just, if I didn't like the way it turned out, I, would, I, would, I just gave it to the church, and then I'd see somebody in it. I, I made maternity clothes, and of course, you want to get rid of those as soon as you can. You know, as soon as you have that baby, you're like, never. And I would see all the pregnant mothers wearing my maternity clothes because we just kept passing it on in Vista. In fact, they even came back to me. <laughs> or a friend that changes. Isn't that disappointing? Like, maybe you went out and you, you spent that time with your friend, and they misinterpreted everything you said. Have you ever had those times? Am I alone in that? where you're, you're like, how did you get that from what I said to you? How in the world did you make those non-connections connect? That is not what I was saying. Or I don't know about you, but I used to think of the best lectures to give my kids. They were so good. I mean, they were masterpieces. I mean, Shakespeare had nothing on me. And then I would give it, and it was like, I mean their eyes begin to bulge out of their head, and they're like, attack. I mean, it, didn't, it never, ever went the way I thought. 
Um, after I recovered from my first gastrointestinal surgery, and it was, it was hard. It was, you know, I got rushed uh, to the doctor. I, I could tell you uh, things, but it would make you nauseated, especially because of the type of surgery it was. And, you know, I got this surgery, and I had a hard recovery. And when I finally recovered, a year later, I was having um, a great time with my friends uh, when I thought I had the stomach flu ended up back in the hospital up in Monterey, California. And I remember they did a CT, you know, I went into the machine, they brought me out. The doctor came in and he's like, you've got another blockage. And I was like, no, I, I was through that. I conquered that, it was hard. I don't want that to happen again. So they gave me a diet. And so I followed that diet and I remember I, you know, drank copious amounts of water and of, they told me peppermint tea and chamomile tea and to, you know, I did everything they said, everything. And a year later, I was back in the hospital again, right before I was supposed to go to Cyprus um, to the missions conference. The night before, I was all packed. My suitcase was all packed. I was leaving the next day. And I had to call up Linda Rourke and say, you're going to have to take me to the hospital. She's like, are you sure it's that? i like, I know what I'm dealing with now. They took me to the hospital. And of course, they put these ghastly things in you that go up through your nose all the way down to your stomach. And then they attach a vacuum cleaner to it on this side. And you feel like a snuffleupagus. It's you know, not only awkward, you know, because you're walking around with this thing on your nose, but it's just uncomfortable to say the least. And I just was like, I don't know how, I don't know how to heal from this. I've done everything they've said. I've given it my best shot. I don't know what to do. I remember the doctor came in and I asked to see him again. He said, why are you asking to see me? I'm a very busy person. I said, because I can't live like this. I don't know what to do. And he said, ah, see me in three weeks, and we'll talk then. And so I made an appointment, and I got one more surgery. At, at the time I was getting the surgery, he said, this is good for 10 years. After the surgery, he said, this is good for three. Three years, at least. But I remember, I remember that discouragement, that disappointment, that discouragement, and even that depression, because here was something beyond my control. Here was something I couldn't fix, something that no matter how I ate, and when you hit your eating, you know, Janet, when you hit what you eat, you know, when you're hitting your diet, that's a hard thing. You can touch anything, but don't touch my diet. You know, don't touch my hamburger. And, you know, don't touch my salads, and not to be able to eat salads or hamburgers or apples all of my favorites. It was hard. During that same season, I was diagnosed with something called Meniere's disease because at least I could have my coffee. And you know what Meniere's did? It took away my coffee. <laughs> I had this vertigo. They said, do you want to keep having vertigo? No, then stop drinking coffee. It's like, what about decaf? Too much caffeine. And uh, they told me with the Meniere's, not only was I losing my hearing in my right ear, but I would lose my balance eventually. But then the man said, the doctor said, but it could go away. 
but we don't know if it will. I found that during that time, not being able to have chocolate or coffee, salt, apples, salad, hamburgers, burritos, all my favorites. I know, see? I found I had to fight depression tooth and tongue. Did I tell you they also took salt out of my diet? I mean, seriously. Because Satan is right there. He is such an opportunist to take advantage of any weaknesses, any problems, any disappointment. He's right there to challenge everything. And discouragement follows when it seems that nothing is going to change, no matter what we do. We could change our diet. We can change our routines, expend every effort, experiment with different remedies, take this vitamin, get a new job, move, change venues, and it's still following. It's still there. We still have the same issue, the same pain, the same problem, the same debt, the same loss. And that's when depression comes because everything seems useless. Haven't you found that there's a darkness to depression? It's like this tunnel, like, you know, people are like, don't be depressed. You're like, if I could stop it that easily, I would. You think I'm a moron? <laughs> you think I want to be depressed? You think I like this? No, I don't want to feel this. I want out of this depressive box I'm in. It's, it's awful. It's, if I, if I could just take it off, I would. And as we read in our study this week, anxiety in the heart causes depression. When we're afraid that this is going to just keep going and going and going and there's no end to this. And we're powerless to change. Depression comes in. And I call disappointment, discouragement, and depression the deadly Ds. And they often hit harder. And I've realized this when I'm tired and worn out, if I've extended all my energy, like the day after Christmas, right? Or I'm physically deprived, like I'm hungry, or I'm thirsty, or I'm sick, or I'm struggling with chronic pain. That's, that's when they tend to come. Personally, I take great comfort in the fact that Elijah, who was a prophet of God, was not immune from the deadly deeds. Why do we expect to be if Elijah wasn't? You know, if God entrusted his faithful prophet with the deadly deeds, then he at times is going to allow the deadly deeds into our life too. Think about Elijah's experience. He had this incredible, victorious showdown with the prophets of Baal. I think that Elijah was hoping that that showdown would cause the people to say, enough of Ahab, enough of Jezebel, we want a righteous king. Or maybe, let's make, you know, the king of Judah go back to the dynasty of David. Maybe he was hoping for something like that. Or maybe for Ahab just to be like, 
the Lord, he is God. What am I doing with Jezebel? This is terrible. I want to serve the Lord. Because after all, the victory over the prophets of Baal was undeniable. They, they had all day. They had the better calf. They had the better altar. There were more of them. They went into a bigger frenzy. Their prayers were longer. And yet, the fire fell when Elijah prayed. It was undeniable. And then there was the rain. Just as God had spoken through his prophet Elijah, the rain stopped for three and a half years, and at his word, it came. Perhaps Elijah was hoping for a new godly regime to rule in Israel or the people to say, let's pull down all the altars of Baal. We read in the book of 2 Kings that that's what happened with King Josiah in Jerusalem and King Hezekiah. Because of their godly rule, the people themselves said, let's tear down the altars of Baal. However, instead of seeing any reform, any change in the spiritual atmosphere of Israel or the people or the government, instead, Elijah gets a messenger at his door, a knock. And the man comes in and he presents Elijah probably with some type of scroll. Elijah opens it. Maybe he was even hoping then, oh, <laughs> repentance, this is it. You know, we like you. That was so good. You know, like Instagram, I want to be your friend. But instead, as he opens the scroll, what it says is, and I quote the message, the gods will get you for this, and I'll get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any one of those prophets. Can you imagine? Elijah, after this elation, this great thing, here is the messenger, like the messenger of Satan, messenger of Jezebel at the door knocking. This means... She knows where he lives. He's not hidden by God anymore. He's not safe like he felt before. Now he's absolutely vulnerable. And she's making her intentions clear. She wants him dead as soon as possible. And at this message, the godly, powerful, the Victorious prophet Elijah runs for his life. Thank God. He's just like me. He's just like us. Here's the prophet that received both the fire of God and the abundance of rain. And he sets off with his servant and he runs about a hundred miles South, going into a whole different nation, the nation of Judah, at the very border of the southern kingdom, as south as you can be and still be in the promised land. He leaves his servant there at Beersheba, 
and he travels southwest into the wilderness area, deep into the terrain. This was entering the terrain where the children of Israel roamed. It's rough terrain. It's full of scorpions and vipers. There's no food. There's no water, just barrenness. And he finds a broom tree, and he sits down under it. Just a bit of shade, a bit of shelter in this vast wilderness. He's exhausted. He's disappointed. He's done for. You ever just done for? You know, sometimes Brian will be like, what's for dinner? I'm like, are you kidding? I'm done for. Stick a fork in me. Done. Well done. You know how men are? You know, you wake up in the morning, they turn to you, they look, they smile, and they go, what's for dinner? I don't know. What are you making? <clears throat> Brian came to me and said, I, I make one thing really good. And I said, what do you make? He says, tuna casserole. I said, I hate tuna. I hate all fish. Please don't make that as long as we're living together in the same house. So he has kept his vow and never made it. The prophet was exhausted. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all. I'm quoting from the message again. To just die. Enough of this. God, take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Our new King James says, I'm no better than my father's. I think that might be a better translation. In other words, I haven't made any difference. You know, I, I haven't, nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. I've given it my all, and nothing has changed. And then what did Elijah do? He fell asleep. He fell asleep. He was only awakened at the touch of an angel. And beside Elijah's head, there was angel food cake that had just been freshly baked on coals and a jug of water. The angel told Elijah, eat, eat. You know, sometimes when you're emotionally exhausted, you don't even think to eat. You know, when you're done for, sometimes you have to even be told to eat. I, I'm what's called a stress starver. So obviously I get stressed. Um, and so if I'm really stressed, I don't eat. And I have to be reminded to eat because stress, I just... In fact, when I'm happy and I'm doing really well, I eat like pints of ice cream like last night. So I'm doing really well right now. <laughs> Elijah falls asleep after he eats. And again, the angel has to awaken him. The angel tells him that he needs to arise and eat because the journey is too great for him. And so Elijah did as the angel instructed, and we read that he went on the strength of that food for 40 days and nights all the way to Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. And Horeb is the part of Sinai that faces Israel. It's supposed to be like the... Um, the the east-facing side, and Sinai is supposed to be the west-facing uh, west side. If that's true, I don't know, but that's what I've been told. But what I want to stress here 
is that our Father understands and loves us even when we're going through the deadly deeds. There's no change. He doesn't just love us when we're happy campers and we're like, you're so good. He loves us when we're panicked, which is so good for women to know, isn't it? Because men always treat us like we're from Mars if we panic. You know, don't be afraid. Whenever Brian says, don't be afraid, I'm more afraid. <laughs> or, or one of those things like when he says to me, now don't get upset with what I'm about to say to you. <laughs> Is that the worst? You're like, then don't even say it. If you already know my reaction, I would just save your words, boy. Just save those words. Keep them to yourself. I will find out in God's time what I need to know. Our Father knows. Our Father knows us. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 8, Your Father knows the things you have need Your father knows the things you have need of. Let's do it again. Let's say it all together. Your father knows the things you have need of. Matthew 6, 8. Right before the Lord's Prayer. You want to know why the Lord's Prayer is so simple? Because your father knows. He already knows exactly what you need when you're disappointed, when you're discouraged, when you're depressed. He knows. He knows you so intimately. And he doesn't say, oh, you're so needy right now. Oh, you're so needy. You know, there's nothing scarier to a man than a needy woman. You know, they're like, oh, needy. Our, our Father in heaven is like, needy. Come. I'm here for your needs. In fact, I am what you need. I am everything you need. I have what you need, and I know what you need. And I want to supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. We tend to think of need in that scripture in Philippians chapter 4 as just our Financial needs. Because after all, it says his riches in glory. But did you know God's not just rich in golden pavement? God is rich in love. God is rich in mercy. God is rich in grace, and his grace is all sufficient for every need that arises. He is able and he wants to supply our emotional needs, our physical needs, our mental needs. If, you, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and does not upbraid. James chapter 1, God wants to meet our spiritual needs, all of our needs. Our God knows and he cares. Isn't that just so wonderful? For me, that's wonderful because I don't know about you. I'm hyperactive. I get all these weird, conflicting thoughts. Maybe you've got a little 
ADHD in you too. I think everybody does. Because sometimes we don't know if we're hungry or if we're frustrated. We don't know if we're sympathetic or dramatic. We don't know if we're angry or we're relieved. We don't know if we're happy or sad. You know, I, I don't know. Sometimes when I want to say yes, 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 you know what I find myself saying? No, 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 no. Like somebody, you know, do you want to marry me? No, 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 no. Right? It's like, no, yes, 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 yes. I get those two mixed up. I do. I say no when I mean yes. And I say yes when I'm, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, like, do you want a new credit card? Oh, yeah. No. Oh, you do? No! I get those two mixed up. I, you know, I, it's just, I make a habit. I don't mean to. I just do things like this. Sometimes I don't know if I'm tired or I'm exhilarated. I don't know if I'm exhausted or if I'm wanting more ice cream. I just don't know. I don't know myself. Sometimes I have to say to the Lord, will you please explain me to me? I don't know why I reacted that way. I don't know what's going on in me. You ever have a reaction that you're like, what in the world was that? And it's you that reacted? But you're like, you don't know? I, I do a lot. And that's when I go on a walk with the Lord and I say, will you just explain to me what's going on in my heart and my life? Because I don't get me. I just don't get me. When I want to react with like, oh, you precious little bundle of joy, you know? I'm like, what's he doing here? I don't want that. I don't want that. God knows me. Psalm 139, he knows my down city and my uprising. He's acquainted with all my ways. He knows me. He knows why I do things the way I do. I am strange. Maybe you guys haven't figured that out now, but I am. I'll admit it. You know, I'm eccentric, but I've come to terms with it. I have this thing where when I put the water in the sink, I don't want you to put a dirty dish in my clean water. I want all the dishes that are going to go in that water rinsed off before they go in that water. Now, I've been married for 42 and a half years, and Brian does not get that yet. He takes those with all the mashed potatoes and yams and residue still on it and just sticks it in my clean water. And then he goes, oh, no, you're not going to go postal on me, are you? Because he knows. I have to take those dishes out, put them in the other part of the sink, and I have to take the water out, and I have to put the fresh water in that sink again with the fresh white suds. He knows that. And yet, he tries to sneak in that dirty fork and that bowl, and then he just looks at me, smiling. God knows my ways. He'd never stick a dirty dish in that side of the sink. He knows exactly what I need, when I need it, and why I need it. He knows me. I love those commercials uh, that we're seeing lately. I cry at all of them. He gets me. 
Have you seen those? Oh, there are some Christians that are criticizing it. May we never be one of those Christians. Because I watch those and I'm like, he gets me. He gets the refugee. He gets the rejected. He gets the lonely. He gets me. Frank goes, have you heard that campaign? He gets me. I'm like, I love it. I absolutely love it. God gets me. He gets you. Sometimes we're so hard on ourselves like bad Christian, bad Christian, bad Christian. Should have reacted better. I should have done this better. I shouldn't have run at that note from Jezebel after all. I just saw the fire of God fall. I felt the rain. I ran 16 miles just praising God and singing in the rain. I shouldn't have run. What kind of prophet am I after all? God says you're a tired prophet. You're a prophet that's hungry. You're a prophet that needs rest. We're so hard. We beat ourselves up all the time. Your heavenly father does not want to beat you up. Your heavenly father does not want you beating yourself up. Do you hear me? Do you think he likes it when you do that? No, he does not like that. He does not want you beating yourself up, castigating yourself, saying, I should be better at this by now. No, you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to run into his arms. Your father knows what you have need of. Your father knows. Your expectations for yourself, like Peter, are way too high. I will never, ever, though everyone else will deny you, not me. I will die for you. Was Peter able to live up to his own self-expectations? No. Can you? No. Can we just be honest? No. Our expectations are higher for us than they should be. But let me tell you this. Your Heavenly Father knows what you have need of. He knows. He knows what you have need of. God knew that his prophet needed rest, restoration, food, water, and a divine visitation. You know, as um, somebody was bringing out today, the first time he was hungry, it was ravens. But this time he needed an angel. He needed an angel. He needed to know that God was with him, that God was for him. And he needed to know that there was divine protection. He was not alone. And he needed strength because God even knew Elijah's future and how long the journey ahead of him would be. God knew where Elijah was going when Elijah was just running. God had a destination in mind. God knew how Elijah was feeling, vulnerable, alone, abandoned. God knew, again, what Elijah needed physically, water, food, and rest. So many times we just need a nap, seriously. God met Elijah with everything, everything he needed for the journey. Like Elijah, the hit comes to all of us. Often, after a great spiritual endeavor, I'm going to give my all to Jesus. I'm going to join this ministry. 
I'm going to be part of this. I'm going to do my lesson every week. I'm going to, I'm going to just really serve the Lord. Something terrific hits before you have time to even adjust. You might receive a threatening message of an unexpected illness or diagnosis. Maybe it's identity theft, a bill or tax audit, a threat, a lawsuit, something that makes you want to run away, something that wants, um, that moves you to want to try to escape. You feel vulnerable. The enemy knows exactly how to get to you. You know, when God asked Satan what he was doing in the book of Job, he says, oh, I've been walking to and fro about the earth. And he had been looking for the vulnerability of Job. Scouting out, he strategizes. No wonder Paul calls it, watch out for the wiles of the devil. He strategizes. Um, I once read this article on spiritual warfare that I thought was like the best article. I kept it because it, it related spiritual warfare to, to fishing. That like, you know, a fisherman throws in a, a lure and then if the fish don't bite it, then he reels it back up and he tries another lure until he sees some interest. He's like, okay, this one got them. Satan strategizes like the fisherman with the fish. Satan strategizes. He knows how to get to you. He knows what buttons to push. And he pushes the button that overwhelms you. You don't know how to handle this one. You've already expended all you have. You feel abandoned. How could God allow this to happen to you after you've tried so hard to be a good servant, to be a good prophet, to be a good Christian. You know what? The journey of life is too great for you. The journey of life is too great for any of us. Life hurts. Life is hard. I used to think life was really great till I turned 30. Sorry for those under 30. It gets hard. It just gets hard. And then 60. 60 is really hard. I have muscles I didn't know I had because they hurt. You know, I never even knew there were muscles that you will never mind. The journey is too great for any of us, and we don't even know how to pack. We don't know what we should put in our suitcases and what we should leave out of our suitcases. You know, which is hard for us as women, right? Because we like to be ready for every occasion, right? Men carry wallets, and, and usually they don't even have any money in it, and their credit cards are outdated. But not us. We're women. What do we carry? We carry small suitcases that we call purses. They have everything. Sewing kits, you know, baggies in case there's extra food someplace or something leaks. At least I do. Now I have market bags, of course, that fold up. Emery boards, right? I can't believe the women that don't carry emery boards because when I lose mine, I ask. And, it, and anyway, I carry them and I have spare. I have like 10, so if you need one, I've got them. 
we're prepared and we like to be prepared for every destination. But we can't be because it's life. It's life. And it always asks for that one thing that's not in our purse, doesn't it? Always seems to require that one thing that we don't have. But my God will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. The need is not exclusively financial. The need for all of us is spiritual, physical, mental, emotional. Our issue, like Elijah's, is that we start running instead of seeking. We sing that song, Be Still. Be Still. Yet, even in our panic, God finds us and doesn't berate us, but he feeds us, gives us rest, and gives us water. He knows what we need for life's journey. And our Father is so compassionate. In closing, I want to read to you Psalm 103, and I want you to make it yours this morning. It is for each one of you this morning, this psalm, for you, for each of you. I'm going to read it out loud. I want you to maybe just close your eyes, just receive it. If a word stands out to you or a phrase, write it down, claim it, stand on it. Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagle's. Or as the message puts, you're always young in his presence. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers our days are like grass, like wildflowers we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. 
The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of them. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord, everything that he has created, everything in all his kingdom. Let all I am praise the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning that you are a compassionate Father, that you know our needs. We belong to you. You do not accuse us. You are not upbraiding us. You are not angry with us. You do not despise our need, but you are the one drawing us ever closer to you, whispering in our ear that you love us and that you are here for us. And you will give us the grace that is sufficient for all that arises. Father, thank you for loving us in our panic. Thank you for loving us in our disappointment. Thank you for loving us in our discouragement. Thank you for loving us in our depression. Thank you for never giving up on us, for always going the extra mile. Thank you for your angels that wake us up that feed us, that give us the drink. Thank you for your ministering spirits. Thank you for being the best daddy in the whole wide world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.